And if you are just joining us, we've been talking since the beginning of the year about what it looks like to make this year different. What does it look like, not just for the year to be different, but even more so, what does it look like for us to be different? One of the things I know is that being like everyone else, being kind of the same as everyone else, being normal like everyone else, can I just say this is kind of overrated? I mean, everybody, I know it's kind of the norm and the way everybody operates, but I'm telling you that when you decide to follow Jesus, you are invited into a different life, and that life is better. Can anybody give me an amen if you agree with that? It is better. Now, last week, as we were just talking about different ways that we can be different, last week we talked about how can we operate our finances different than the rest of the world. The way the rest of the world views Our resources is different than how a Christ follower sees them. How do we see them? We see them this way, that everything that we have, not not just the money that we earn, but the skill to earn it, the intellect, the strength, the ability to do what you do, the smarts for the field that you went into, whatever, all of those things you need to recognize have been inherited by you. In other words, the seed of what you have to produce uh, in your life, even money and finances, has come from God. And when we understand that, what it does is it frees us up to actually return back to God the first fruits. So we talked about the first fruits last week and how God invites us to give to him the first of our, off, of our, of our income, the first of it. And when we do, here's the beautiful part the promise of God's favor in our lives. It's not a get rich scheme. It's about walking in faithfulness and honoring God. And so now, if we talked about last week, what does it look like for us to manage what God has put into our hands? This week, I wanna flip it. This week, I wanna talk about what does it look like for us to manage what is not in our hands? And so how do I do that? How do I manage something that I don't own? How do I manage something that's not in my hands? I would argue we actually do it all the time. We manage something that does not belong to us all the time. I'll give you a great example of what I'm talking about. Uh, My wife and I, we own a house. Well, kind of. I mean, we get to stay in a house that we bought, but we didn't really buy it because I don't have all the money to buy it. But we have this really, really nice friend. His name is Mr. Chase. And he lets us stay in the house if we just send him money every single month. Do you know what I'm talking about? See, I I don't own the house, but I tell people I do. Yeah, I own a house. No, but I don't own a house. I, I borrowed money for the house. How do we manage what is not in our hands? Here's what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about debt. I want to talk a little bit about debt. Now, here's what I know um, when I mention debt uh, is that probably that's something that all of us can identify with. More than likely, all of us, to some extent, have some debt. So here's what I want you to hear. This, This is not one of those, like, if you're in debt, something's wrong with you. That's not what I'm saying. But I want us to recognize that what has become very culturally normative in our society is to live with a lot of debt. Most of the people around us 
have so much debt. Now, I'm just not talking about a house, but let's talk about all the debt. I'm talking about all the cars that we still owe for, and I'm talking about the student loans we're still paying back, and talking about all the credit cards, and you got a Macy's card, and a, well, I don't know if Target gives you a card, but, um, you know, all, all the different, different cards that you have, and, and all of them, you know, the truth is this. It's quite normal today to live with that, which is no surprise when you consider how our nation operates Our government operates. Did you know this? That right now, nationally speaking, we are in debt for more than $30 trillion. Trillion. And it's climbing. I can't even put my mind around that much money. And I am not an expert, and there might be some to go, well, debt is good in your government, and you're, you should have some debt. Okay, maybe that's true. All I know is when I hear $30 trillion and it's climbing, all I think to myself is at some point, somebody else is going to own us. Like, I, okay, I know there's experts. This is not my field, but... But here's what I know. Um, What has become so culturally normative, and it seems like everybody just charge it, swipe it. You want it? Go buy it. You deserve it. What sounds like the protocol for culture today. Can can I argue is maybe not something we want to follow? I know it's the ideal. I know it's the ideal today. But but I came across some interesting uh, statistics about how people feel about debt and how they feel about their financial situation in America. Listen to just a a couple of these. Um, The average household in the United States has debt of more than $150,000. That's average, okay? Some of you might go, well, we got that beat by a lot. Okay, another survey um, they did of people, and this was after the pandemic kind of started, so so this is kind of like more recent. 44% of the people surveyed said they are living beyond their means. What what does that mean? That means they're spending more money every month than they make. 44%, almost half. And here was another just kind of fascinating number in this survey. Eight out of 10 people, this is just recent, that they surveyed, said they could not cover an unexpected $500 expense. Eight out of 10 people, that if they had, if their car broke down and it was over $500, they would be in trouble. That's, that's startling to me. And, and on top of that, the survey said that 59% of Americans say that their greatest fear is running out of money. Can I just say, you know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like stress. That sounds like anxiety. That sounds miserable. And maybe some of you go, well, that's kind of what life feels like. Can can I just say, I really believe that there's something better, there's a better way to live. Can I say that? I really believe that if we actually adopt some of the truths, and listen, some of the things that God's word says about operating our finances when it comes to debt is gonna seem a little countercultural, okay? But here's what I believe, that when the Bible says that here's a way to live, it's so that we can experience what's better. That if that's normal, can I just tell you, normal's not working. That's not working. And so today, I wanna, I wanna just share some practical thoughts, maybe a little bit of advice, if I could, from God's word in my life about debt. Now, here's, here's what I wanna say, especially um, if, if you're here and, and 
if you're younger, maybe you're just getting started out with finances, listen, listen in, listen in. I really I have a passion for this, especially when you're younger, because I'm grateful for the things that I learned when I was younger that helped keep me from maybe getting into some really bad financial situations. But can I just tell you, if you were to ask this question, when is the best time to learn about debt? Anybody guess? Before you're in debt. Hear me, the best time to learn about debt is before you're in debt. So if you're like, well, I'm not in debt, I'm only 16 years old and I don't have very much money and all that. Perfect, pay attention. Do you know what the second best time is to learn about debt? Right now, absolutely, right now. And so whether you feel like you're drowning in debt or you feel like you're in a good place, I just believe that God's word has some things to share with us. And so if you've got your Bible or an electronic device, would you get it out and go to 2 Kings chapter 4? 2 Kings chapter 4. I love this story. Uh, I have preached on this passage a few times. Unlike last week, I've never preached on that passage. And I just believe that there's so much wisdom in just a few verses that I would encourage you that these are things that you're going to write down. These are, there's some truths in here that if you apply them to your life, can actually enable you to live fully free. That's, that's my hope for you. Okay, 2 Kings chapter four, starting with verse one. It says, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha. Your servant, my husband is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. I wanna stop and we're just gonna mine out some truth out of this one verse. You're never gonna believe there's so much truth in this one verse. Now, if you don't know who Elisha is, um, Elisha is a prophet from the Old Testament. A prophet was somebody that God would use, that God would speak to them to give a message to someone else or to a group of people or to the Israelites, and Elisha was one of those prophets. He was a guy that heard from God and then would share the message with others. Now, Elisha was not just some kind of like average prophet. If you ever read the stories about Elisha's life, here's what you're gonna discover. Elisha was like, he was like a grandmaster prophet. I don't even know if there is such a thing, but he is like grandmaster prophet. I mean, performed miracle after miracle. God, I mean, just supernatural things. And, um, and so what would happen is when you'd have a prophet of this status, is that there would be a bunch of other guys that wanted to be prophets or maybe felt like they were supposed to be prophets or maybe they heard from God. And they would travel around under the tutelage of the grandmaster. And so what we find is there was a company of prophets that would kind of like learn from Elisha, okay? And in this moment, the, this wife of one of these men who was in the company of prophets passed away. And she comes to him. And now these are like kind of like what I would say is they're like prophets in training maybe. They were kind of developing their prophetic ability. And so the wife comes to Elisha and says, you know my husband, he served with you, worked with you, didn't make a lot of money, he was in the ministry. He worked with you, served with you, and he revered the Lord and he's gone. And we're left in this really awful financial situation. Now, there's a, a, a reality that I felt like we needed to at least address. And it's what she's feeling and it's probably what some, if not many of you have thought before, it might be one of the reasons why you've struggled to trust and believe in God, and that is this idea that bad things do happen to good people. It's true, isn't it? Bad things do happen to good people. The, even righteous people experience 
pain in this world. Can I, can I just say, for some of you, this has been kind of a sticky point as to why you've kept your distance from God. It's because, you know, my mom, she just served the Lord, and she was, and yet she just battled with this, and then she lost her life way too young. The, I've heard these stories over and over and over again. And we kind of wrestle with this. Come on, God, maybe even in your own life, you're like, I've tried, I'm serving God, I'm trying to live my life and do all the right things, and it just feels like bad thing after bad thing happened. And my husband lost his job, and this happened, and this happened. Where are you, God? Aren't you real? Aren't you out there? Can I just tell you that... This is the reality of life. Bad things do happen to good people. They really do. And some of us think that if I, if I live my life right enough, if I do all the right things, if I honor God, then my life, he'll insulate me from pain. Can I just tell you, that is not true, and God never promised that. In fact, Jesus, um, he said words like this. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. You're going to have pain. By the way, Jesus faced it. Okay, all the followers of Jesus faced it. You're gonna deal with pain in this life. Now, sometimes even tragedy happens, sometimes even hardships happen, even financial hardships happen. Now, here's what I, I want you to understand about hardship and pain and trials and things breaking and losing jobs and all that stuff. Here's what I found. Some pain, financial pain, is the result of our own decisions. Let's be honest, right? And some is not. Can I, I just tell you, I've experienced both. I've been both. Um, I, uh, I made a financial decision early last year, about a year ago. You all remember um, about a year ago, beginning of 2021, there was all this craziness with the stock market. There were like Bitcoin stuff that was blowing up. You all remember GameStop? I don't know if any of you got in on GameStop. GameStop was this thing and, and Reddit and all this stuff, and it was just blowing up. Well, I had gotten some unsolicited advice from an 18-year-old kid. This is great. No, unsolicited advice about the stock market from an 18-year-old kid who had an uncle who had made a lot of money on the stock market. And he told me about this one particular stock that was like his uncle's a sure hit. This is going to blow up by the end of the year. This is like, okay, it wasn't Dogecoin. I, I bought into that, and, it, and then it went up, and then it went down. I did all that too. Um, and, but he was like, can't miss. So here's what I did. I took some money out of our savings account. And I bought a bunch of this stock. Now, here's what's fascinating as I look back. I happen to, and I have, I have a special ability when it comes to financial investments like this. Um, I happen to just know when to buy at the peak of a company's stock. The day I bought in, historical peak of that company, and I watched it all last year go like this every single day. It's now down about 80% from what I put in, praise God. Um, I uh, asked a financial advisor, and I was like, what do I do at this point? And he was like, it doesn't matter. You just either leave it, pray for something to happen, or you just pull out and lick your wounds, okay? So what I'm trying to say is that some of our financial pain is a result of our own dumb decisions, right? But then let's be honest, there's also sometimes financial hardships that happen that we didn't go looking for, we didn't ask for, and they just come to your front door. 
I remember several years ago, my oldest daughter, Lauren, she was really sick this one fall. I think she was her first year in college. And um, she, was, she was really sick and having all these stomach issues. She was having GI problems or pain in her abdomen. So we took her to see the regular doctor. The regular doctor referred her to a specialist, went to see a specialist at Children's, which, by the way, um, you ever go see a specialist at Children's, they're pretty, they're pretty reasonably priced. No, really. And so we went and saw a specialist, for, and then they, the specialist recommended all these tests. We did all of these tests and these procedures, all these, I mean, did all these different things. And finally, when we got done, the doctor looked at all this stuff, and the doctor said, yeah, I don't see anything. I don't know. Just, you know, hopefully it'll get better on its own. And it did, thank God. It got better on its own eventually, did not know. I got left with a, or we got left with a $3,800 medical bill and that was with having insurance. At Christmas time, who plans for that? How many of you put $4,000 in your budget just in case something goes wrong? No, we don't think that's gonna happen. But, but there's a reality that this story really brings to us that we have to be aware, and that is that life is full of unexpected moments. You understand that, right? Life is full of unplanned pain. Like, I promise you, your dryer will go out. Our dryer right now is making a crazy loud noise. We have to keep the door closed on the laundry room because it's so loud, but I'm okay, and I've been blessed because we've had that dryer for over 20 years. That is an act of God, and I just thank God for it. So I just, we're nursing it. It's okay, make a little noise, but, but, but I, I, I feel like God's favor's been all over that dryer, okay? Eventually, everything wears off in this life, okay? Dryer, make noise. Your roof will leak, going to happen. Your car will break down. I promise you, your car will break. And some of you are like, yeah, I know. And I cannot afford and, you know, fix it. That's why I change my car every two years. I get it. Okay. Um, there, there, okay. Tuition is going to go up. I promise you something. If you're not even, you're not even thinking about this, I promise you this. You, you want a little financial insurance will go up next year. It goes up every year. Okay, you will encounter some point unexpected medical bills. I promise you. And, and I heard someone say this once, and I actually think it's very wise. It's very true, right? Failing to plan is actually planning to what? To fail. But you know what's amazing? A survey done recently, eight out of ten. Americans surveyed said that they could not cover a $500 unexpected expense. Wow, we're not prepared for things to go wrong. We expect everything to always be right. Can I give you just a simple thought? This is about our finances and about being prepared. If you are unprepared to deal with life's unexpected moments, you'll become unsuccessful. I'll say that again. Some of you need to really process that. If we are unprepared to deal with life's unexpected moments, you will become unsuccessful. Can I say this even financially? You become unsuccessful. Because things do happen. Things break. Life, life is limited in what we experience. And so here's what, can I just give you a little bit of advice that I learned years ago that has enabled me to sleep at night when it comes to the unexpected. Now, some of you are gonna go, 
this is so simple, and I've heard this before, but can I tell you, a lot of people have not heard this before, and I had not heard this until one day my wife and I, in our small group, went through something called Financial Peace University. And it opened our eyes to something that we had not even thought about. And I don't know if any of you have been to FPU, okay? But one of the first things that Dave Ramsey will talk about in Financial Peace University, the first thing that you need to do is that you need to have a what? Does anybody know have a, an emergency fund? An emergency fund. Oh, that's the savings account that you have where in case you have an emergency and you need to go out to eat and you don't have the money in your checking that you go and you swipe it in an ATM and take out some money. You go, no, 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 not that kind of emergency. I remember my wife and I, we were in a small group and they were talking about, do you, you need to have an emergency fund. And here's what he said, here's what he said. The minimum amount of your emergency fund should be, does anybody know how, have you been through it, how much? The minimum amount, $1,000. That's the minimum amount. Some of you should write this down right now. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, we should have an, you need an emergency fund. What's an emergency for? It's for um, emergencies. <laughs> and this, is not, this is not that complicated, but for some reason, it's, well, it's, you know, that emergency vacation that you've been wanting to take to Cabo, that's not an emergency. An emergency is your car breaks down or um, all of a sudden your refrigerator goes out. We have to have a refrigerator so we can eat. How are we going to pay for it? Oh, my gosh, we don't have the money. An emergency fund. And so here's what we did. We got an emergency fund. We pulled money out of another savings. We sold a few things. He, he says, listen, even if you think I don't have the money, when a lot of people are saying we can't cover a $500 unexpected expense, you know what that tells me? We don't have any savings either. Here's what you do. Priority number one, you get an emergency fund. Now, you say, how do I get an emergency fund if I don't have any money in my savings? I bet you have things in your house that you could sell on Facebook Marketplace. I bet you, maybe you need to have a garage sale. Maybe you, I don't know. Some of you probably have some great workout equipment that never gets touched. I don't know what it is. If you say, well, we just don't know. Maybe some of you have a kid you don't like that much. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just kidding, okay? You don't send me any email. I'm joking, okay? Just lighten up. We're talking about debt, and a lot of you seem really nervous, okay? And here's what you do. If, if you want help doing this, by the way, we, as, as a church, because it, it really impacted me, we offer it at our church. We have Financial Peace University, a new set of classes that are starting on the 21st of February in just a little bit of time. I would strongly encourage you, you stop by Next Steps. You can register online. And here's what, here's what some people say. We want to get our finances in order. And then you go find out that it costs like $60 or $100 to buy all the materials and stuff you need. You go, oh, we don't have that money. We can't do that. Can I just tell you, number one, this is, this is something you need to prioritize. Number two, we have somebody in our church, we have two people in our church that stepped up and said, if you don't have the money for it, they will help scholarship you so you can go through it. But you got to go through it. But I'm telling you, these are some of the things that have changed our financial situation, my wife and I. Because we actually looked at stories like this and went, emergencies do happen. Tragic things will happen. And guess what happens if you don't have an emergency fund, but you do have an emergency? You go in debt today, back then. How are you going to pay for it? You go in debt. And many of us, we, we, we just, if you don't have the money to pay for it and you've got to get a new refrigerator, what do we do? We, we look to our Savior, Visa, right? Pull out the little card and 
well, I don't know. I just, I got one of these things and someone was so nice to give me one of these and I guess it's a lot of money and so I just get it and I was able to get what I needed to get. And what we don't realize is that an emergency happens, we go into debt and all of a sudden it snowballs and next thing you know, we're living under the stress in a mountain of debt. You see, um, we need to understand the reality of debt like that this woman understood. What did she say? She said to the prophet Elisha, she said, our creditors are coming to take my boys as slaves. There's no way to pay it back. So the only thing they could do would be take the boys and force them to work it off. Yeah. And it brings up this truth about debt. This scripture teaches in Proverbs 22, 7. I don't know if you ever heard this before. And it's kind of startling if you haven't. But if you think about it, I think it's, it's true. Proverbs 22, 7 says, The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is what? Everybody say that word. The borrower is, is a slave to the lender. Some of us have never seen it that way. We have a lot of debt, but we're like, man, I'm not a slave to anybody. And what's interesting is, though, we'll say things all the time like, oh, I wish we could do that, but we can't. I wish we could buy that, but we can't. What do you mean we can't? See, see the, the reality is, is that we don't realize that debt can be enslaving. Now, I, I want to qualify this because some people always hear this and they kind of jump to conclusions. Some debt is perhaps necessary. Can I just say that? And some debt is necessary. Like if you operate a business, sometimes you have to borrow money in order to make money. It's true. Sometimes you do to grow a business. Sometimes to build a church. We borrow money to build the church so we can reach more people. Sometimes you do that. Some debt is necessary. Like my wife and I, after we got married and we were in an apartment for a little bit, but we felt like we were just kind of throwing money away, we decided we wanted to get into a house. And so when we went to go get into a house, we didn't have the money to pay for it. It wasn't a real expensive house, but I didn't have $100,000. And so you know what we did? We, we borrowed it from a bank. And so we borrowed it from a bank. But here's the thing. We borrowed money, went to debt for an appreciating asset. So hopefully the value of our home is going up and we're paying it down with interest. That's awful. I hate doing that. Okay? You ever look at the amortization schedule? You'll, you'll get so upset when you realize how much money you're paying in interest on the front end. But, but it was a necessary thing. And so we, within our means, we bought a house. The value of the house is going up. We're paying down the debt. We're creating equity. That's okay. That's okay. I can do that. I can do that. I'm leveraging debt so we can live. Sometimes it's necessary. Sometimes you need a car to get to work. Right? Get a job. I got to show up. I need a car to get to work. Can I tell you, there is a difference between I need a brand new $55,000 truck or maybe I could go buy a car for $10,000 that is actually in really good shape and would get me to and from work. You see what I'm saying? Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having a $55,000 truck. Maybe, praise God if you have one. I'm, I'm saying, though, when you can't afford that, but you leverage debt so that you can live in a lifestyle that you really can't afford. And that is what our culture has created as normal. We're financing a lifestyle that we really can't afford. We're doing it as a nation. And what we don't realize is that that could actually be, listen, irresponsible managing what isn't in your hands. I, I wrote down just a few signs of some things that I, I would say sometimes indicate if you're being a little bit irresponsible with finance. Now, again, I, I'm not saying this to, please don't, don't take it like Phyllis's condemnation or anything. I'm trying to help you just be able to process your own financial situation and say, am I living the best way that I can? 
A couple signs to me that you could be irresponsible. If you're one of those people and maybe you just say, well, I'm just such an impulsive person and you buy first and then afterwards you immediately think, can we afford this? If you have bought a vehicle and then you went home and you took it home and you asked your wife, it's like, can we afford this? You know what I mean? Like, man, this is really nice. Can we really afford this? Your wife asks you, you know what I mean? Can, can I just say that you're, that's a sign that you could be a little bit irresponsible with finances? Or how about this? Maybe here's a little exercise. Maybe you don't want to do this. Add up all your debt, your house, your school debt, your credit cards, okay? Add up all of your debt, and if all of your debt equals the amount that is higher than what it's worth, can I just tell you something? You're upside down. That's not a good thing if you owe more than what it's worth. That's kind of the situation of this woman. What we owe is worth more than what we have. Or maybe if you're one of these uh, people, maybe that you get really, really excited every time you get one of those new credit card offers with 0% for 12 months and it shows up in the mail and you jump and do the happy dance when you see that because you're like, yes, free money. Can I just tell you something? That's not free money. Hello? It's not free money, Okay. Or if you're someone that you just juggle all of your debt by moving it from credit card to credit card so that I can get a lower interest. I'm not saying sometimes it's not a bad idea to consolidate. I'm just saying if this is a practice of your lifestyle, it's a sign that you could be a little bit irresponsible with what God has entrusted you with. And all it takes is one tragedy. All it takes is one unexpected massive medical thing to happen. And we see people being sunk financially. That's what happened to this woman. And so she goes to the prophet and she says, what do we do? I don't know what to do. And look what the prophet says. Prophet replied to her in verse two. He replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? She said, your servant has nothing there at all. Well, except a small jar of oil. Now, and I think this is a really important question. Maybe it's a, something if you're a note taker, you're going to write it down and you're going to think about it. What do you have in your house? Here's why it's so important, especially if you're someone who's struggling with financial uh, debt and all this stuff. Why it's so important to ask this is because most of the time when we are upside down, when we're overwhelmed by our debt, when we're living beyond our means, most of the time our mindset is this. If we could just get a promotion... If we could get a big tax return this year, oh, it's going to really help us be able to breathe a little bit. If maybe somebody in our family that we don't know all that well, but maybe has a little bit of money, kicks the bucket, oh, that'd be awful, Lord. But if they leave us a little bit of inheritance, wouldn't that be amazing? If your mindset is that the answer is always beyond you, you will never take the step that you need to take to get to freedom. If the mindset is, well, the pro- it's always, well, we don't make enough. We don't have this. And that could be part of the truth. But here's one of the things that I love that Financial Peace teaches. And one of the things that, that Dave Ramsey does in this program is that he helps you to get out of debt without increasing your income. Can I just tell you something? It's possible. We had a bunch of people make that move last year and step into it and start paying down Thousands and thousands. In fact, the group of people that paid down their debt, they paid down within nine weeks $77,000 worth of debt collectively as a group in nine weeks without getting promotions, without getting raises. 
You see, this is the wrong mindset if you want to get to a freedom, a free place in your life. Is it, well, it's just the answers all around us. No, the answer might actually be within you. It might be what you already have. See, I would argue that the problem isn't that we have nothing. The real problem is, is that we aren't willing to change anything. It's not that we don't have anything. It's that the truth is we're just not willing to change, you know. Well, we want to get out of debt. I mean, this year we're going to be real serious. We're, we're going to get out of debt. Well, you, you might have to actually cut out some things out of your life and your budget. What, what do you mean, cut out some things? Well, you know, like, you know how you go out to eat every single day for lunch, but you're in debt a lot? I got an idea. Why don't you pack your, your lunch? What? Yeah, you could brown bag it. It's okay. I know you're 38 years old and you're working, but it's all right to brown bag your lunch. Why don't you pack your lunch? You might save $40 a week, which over a year time is $2,000. Hey, wouldn't it be nice to pay down your debt $2,000? That might actually help free you up a little bit. You see, the problem isn't that we have nothing. Can I be honest with you? The problem is we're not willing to change anything. Well, I want to get out of debt. Okay, that's fine. Well, then why don't you cancel one of your 17 streaming services? What do you mean? Like, well, you know, I mean, you know how you have Netflix and you have Hulu and you have YouTube TV and you have um, Peacock, um, and you have CBS's, I don't know what they all are, and you have HBO Max, and you have, you know, because you just don't know what you're gonna wanna watch that day, and so you just need to have all your options available to you. Hey, hey, I have an idea. Why, why don't you cut it all back and maybe just use one? Maybe, maybe, maybe some rabbit ears. You guys remember rabbit ears? And I was a kid, I don't even know if you can do rabbit ears. The HD antenna, you could do that. You buy one for $20, you could cut all of them. Now, we can't live without cable. Yeah, I know, that's how the rest of the world operates. And they're also miserably in debt. If you want to live different, you're gonna have to do some things different. And it's not that you couldn't have all those things. It might be for a season while you get back out of it. Because otherwise, we're gonna be tempted to think like this woman. What is this woman? She said, well, I don't have anything. Oh, well... I mean, I guess a small jar of oil. What's, how much is that worth? That's not going to go very far. See, these are things that we say to ourselves that always leave us trapped in a financial mess. Well, I don't, we don't really make that much. We don't really have that much. We don't have that much to save. It's just how far is this going to go? I mean, this is make a few meals and that's it. Saute up something. I, like, this isn't, this isn't very much. Here's where I want you to see a divine truth in this story. Sometimes it feels like we don't have very much, but what we don't realize is that your little bit in God's hands can create some supernatural flow in your life. Did you know that? Your little bit putting God's, didn't Jesus show us that? Hey, what, what do you have? We got all these people that are hungry. What do you have? We only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Bring it to me. You take what little bit you've got, you put it into my hands, let me bless it, let me multiply it. And so this woman, she said, I only have a small jar. Well, I don't have much. I, that's, you know, it's pretty much nothing. Elijah said, that's not nothing. You got something. God can work with a little. Can you hear me? God, I only have a little bit of faith. Can I tell you something? God can work with a little. I only have a little bit of hope for my life. God can work with a little. God only needs a little if you'll give it to him by faith. And so here's what the prophet said. Here's what the prophet said. I love this. Look at this. Verse three. Then Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for what? Everybody say it. For empty jars. Don't just ask for a few. Be a little bold. 
Ask for, hey, do you got anything? What do you got? What do you got? No, I mean, what about that thing right there? You know what I mean? Ask, don't ask for a few. Then go inside, shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. And she left him and shut the door behind her and her sons, and they brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. And when all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. Go get some empty jars. Go, go get you some empty jars. We got some oil, but we need, we need something to put it in. This is what the man of God said to her. Go get some empty jars. And so, so what, what did they do? They, she went around and they started asking all the neighbors, you know, do you have empty jars? Now, can I just tell you, it's not asking for a handout. I think sometimes we get into a difficult financial place and we're ready for somebody to bail us out. Maybe the government will bail us out. Maybe, maybe some parents will bail us out. No, no, no. The answer to what you have, it's not getting bailed out. It's not a handout, but it is maybe asking for some help. I need some help. She said, go ask for some empty jars. Don't, 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 not the ones they're already using, but go ask for a bunch of jars. Now, what do the jars represent? Go get you some empty jars. And I thought about this story, and I think there's a beautiful picture in it. You see, God is always longing to fill what we will give to him that is empty. We give him some empty space to room. Can I, can I just tell you that some of us, we are asking and hoping and wanting God to do a miracle in our life, wanting God to do a miracle in our marriage, wanting God to do a miracle in our finances. I would ask this question, are you giving God the room to do a miracle? Are you making space for God to do a miracle? How do I make space for God to do a miracle? It's called faith. Faith means that I don't know, I'm going to create room. I don't know how it's gonna happen. You're telling me, man of God, that I'm supposed to get a bunch of empty jars and I just start pouring. And as I pour, you're telling me that I'm gonna fill them all up? That doesn't make sense. I actually, I was, I was thinking, okay, I wanted an illustration because it was so good. And, and so I, I, I was talking to Judah, who's helped me pull this together. And I said, how cool would it be if, if I, if, I, if God did a miracle and I just started pouring oil and it kept going until I filled up every single jar. And then I thought, I am not gonna try to mimic a miracle on this platform and look like an idiot. I am not gonna do I was trying to think of some magic trick that I could do where I'd keep pouring. You'd be like, oh my God. Like, but I, I, I don't know how to do that. So I'm not gonna mimic that. But, but I hope you get the point, okay? Uh, get, get some empty jars. What I'm saying is, is that we might need to create space with our faith. No, don't ask for a few. I need a lot of, go around and ask all your neighbors. I need, no, 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 you're not using it. I need it, I need it, I need it, I need it. Why? Because here's what faith is. Faith is creating space for God to work in your life. Faith is when you go first saying, I don't know why I need a bunch of empty jars. I got nothing to fill it. But when you do that, that's when you see God's miraculous power begin to flow through your life. And see, most of us, we got it backwards. God, give me a bunch of oil. God said, where am I gonna put it? How can I trust you with more oil than this thing holds if you won't create space for me to work? 
Can I tell you about a, a, another story? I, I shared one last week that was kind of crazy. And um, at prayer night on Tuesday, by the way, prayer night was, it was incredible. It was incredible. You know, we started doing these prayer gatherings a year ago, and they've doubled in number of people coming to them. That's strange. That don't happen normally. My prayer is it'll double again. And um, there, there was this, this young lady, um, Dara, that came and she shared a story with us of what God had done in her life that day. That day. It was Tuesday. It was Tuesday. And um, l- let me read it to you. She shared it with us. She said, um, after Pastor Tim's message on Sunday, that was last Sunday, about first fruits, honoring God, faith, yeah. She said, I felt very convicted because I'd never tithed and never fully trusted God with my finances. And I felt called to give 10% pre-tax because I, I felt called to fully trust God, even though... I didn't know how I was going to make ends meet, and my rent is increasing, and I could no longer afford my migraine medication. I miss life. These are the kind of things that happen in life. We know we don't expect it. But she did it anyways. She gave by faith. So I don't know where it's going to come from, but I'm going to trust God at his word. Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe into my storehouse and see if I won't. Uh, this, this is last week. You had this beer. And she said this. She said, I decided to email my district manager today asking for a meeting to talk about my pay. I was gonna ask for a $2 an hour raise. I moved offices five months ago, been training in another position that weren't a raise, but I had never gotten one. Today when I uh, saw my district manager, she came into my office, she pulled me aside and told me she laughed when she got my email that morning because she said, I was already gonna tell you. This was, this was before she even asked for it. She said, because I wanted to tell you that you got a $2 an hour raise two weeks ago that will actually show up in your paycheck this Friday, and I haven't had a chance to tell you that it was already on the way. Oh, by the way, and next month, I'm, you're also going to get a merit raise on top of that. And you know what she said? God is faithful. What did she do? She got empty jars. I don't, I don't know how I'm going to be able to do this, but, but God said, test me in this. It's faith. It takes faith to do that. And the provision was already on its way. Now, the critic would say, I understand. Well, she already had the race coming. She just didn't know it. To which I would say, God is not bound by time. God knew what she was going to do in her heart and trust her in faith. So God present the blessing on its way. That's what happened. I really believe it. Creating space for God. You see, sometimes we we want God to bring the blessing, but we won't, by faith, create room for him to operate. And so she did all of that. And look what verse 7 says. She went and she told the man of God, you're never going to believe I just kept pouring. I just kept pouring and pouring and pouring. And it didn't stop until I finished filling the last. She told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil, pay your debts. You and your son can live on what's left. Now, that's a verse, if you had your Bible, I would underline. I would mark it up because there's a paradigm in 2 Kings 4-7 for operating our finances that will enable you to experience freedom. It's a real simple paradigm. I'm gonna just give it to you and I'm done. Three quick things. I'm just gonna rattle them off. The first one is this. The first step, collect empty jars. You go, I, I want to experience financial freedom. Okay, okay. Here's what I would tell you. 
go collect some empty jars. What does that mean? That means you've got to take a step of faith. And, and here's, here's the problem. Here's what we say. Here's what we say. Well, when I get into a better financial place, then I'll give to God. When we get out of debt, we pay it down, then we're going to do this. When we get a raise, then we're going to. You know, I have found that we say that, but we don't mean it. Because I've been saying that my whole life, but here's what I found. Every time I just make more, I spend more. That's what we do. And so we keep saying, God, when this, when it happens, when I get into a better place, when we do, like the story I shared last week, the, the, the husband that was like, we can't be given a tithe now. We don't have the money. She said, but that's the time to give it. That's empty jar living. That's having faith. That's saying, God, I'm going to create space for you to do it. Why? Because my little bit with God is worth a whole lot more than mine on my own. And so I'm just going to get, I'm going to start with faith. See, see, I, I really believe it's a key. You want to get out of debt? Have the blessing of God in your life. It makes a big difference. Collect empty jars. The second thing is this, prioritize paying off your debts. That becomes your new number one mission. You and your spouse on the same page, family on the same page. Number one mission, pay off our debts. That means anything that is extra is going to pay off our debts. And if you want real practical steps for doing this, go to Financial Peace University. They'll help you. It really will help. Prioritize it. Well, okay, um, but, but we've been talking about going to Europe and this big family. That sounds great. That's a great way to also keep going further into debt if you don't have it. By the way, if you want to go on a really great vacation, can I make a, just a real small suggestion? Just a small, this is just so sidebar. This is not what the message is about. Maybe you're just going to hate this, throw it away if you don't want to. But here's an idea. Save for it. I know, one person's excited. The rest of you are like, why, why would I, God blessed me with one of these. Why wouldn't I use it? Save for, I know, I know it's crazy. Prioritize paying off your debts. That becomes your new number one financial mission, okay? So I'm gonna pay off all my debts. It may not be your house, or I, okay, that may take you 20 years, that may whatever, but start paying off all that unsecured debt that you have, all the clothing stuff you've been buying, all this. You stop that, you just, I'm not gonna do that anymore. I'm gonna pray. And then here's the third step. Third step, so important. Live on what's left. That's what the man of God said. This is so simple. All I'm doing is telling you straight from God's word. This seems so simple. That's what he said to her. Collect empty jars. God did a miracle. Go pay off your debts. Live on what's left. Live on what's left. Live on what's left. I feel like a broken record. Live on what's left. Live on what's left. What does it mean to live on what's left? It means I'm not going to live beyond what we make. I'm going to honor God first. I'm going to get my emergency fund. I'm going to pay off my debt. And then I'm going to live on what's left. And if we could get this concept, can I tell you what it would mean? This is my hope for all of us, is that we would understand what it means to have empty jars and be fully free. I'm going to have empty jars, faith, but I'm going to live fully free because I'm going to trust in the blessing of God. I'm going to walk in the favor of God. He's going to help me get out of debt. And when I do that, what's that going to do? That's going to free our family up where, guess what? We're not going to be fighting about finances all the time. I'm not going to be so stressed that we're not going to make it at the end of this month. What is that going to do? It might, it might actually change your family dynamic. It might, actually, it might actually create an opportunity to become even more generous, to continue to walk in the flow of God's blessing in your life. 
It's my heart's desire. The reason why I talk about this, I know that maybe even this sits kind of like, man, I feel like this is a little in your face. And it's because I care so deeply about you. I want a church where we're living fully free, where we're not living like the rest of culture. Because I'm telling you, you live like that, you're gonna live with the same stress and worry and anxiety. And I just don't believe that that's God's plan and intention for us. And so I wanna make sure I manage not just what I already have that's in my hands, but I wanna manage what isn't in my hands. Would you stand to your feet today? I wanna pray for us. And I know that this message is insanely practical. I wanted it to be. I know it's God's word and some advice that I've experienced and been blessed with in my life that's really helped me. But at the end of the day, can I just tell you this idea of not being fully free, this is more than just finances. It's a spiritual matter. Jesus said, I've come to give life and life to the fullest. And until every area of our life is fully surrendered to him, we'll never know what it's like to be free. And all I know is that Jesus took my debt and my sin on the cross. He became a debtor so that I could go free. That spiritual truth applies to every area, including our finance. If we can understand this, that we're not called to live in debt, but we're called to live free. And you can still enjoy life. I promise you, if you'll put these principles to work. And so, Father, I pray. I pray for the truth of your word, God, to just rest in our spirit today. Lord, I'm thankful for stories like this. Her pain could result in our freedom today. God, I thank you that also her story that we read was a moment for you to show up and provide miraculously. And God, we remember, we hold on to this truth, and that is that, God, you're a miracle-working God. You are a provider. And we can trust in you if we will follow your direction. And so, God, I pray right now, maybe, maybe today the idea of not being fully free is not just about a financial thing, but it could be a spiritual thing. I don't know if maybe you're here today and maybe inside your soul you do not feel free can I tell you the reason why is because of sin you know what sin is sin is a debt that we owe God in other words I've I've messed up it's an IOU I messed up and can I just can I just tell you something even though we all owe a debt we cannot pay we can't repay it God knew that when he sent Jesus to come and he died on the cross for your sin my sin and today you can find hope in him Today, if you want to be free inside, you want your soul to be free, it can happen in an exchange, a transaction right now of faith. This is you getting an empty jar. God, I'm giving you space to fill. If that's your prayer today, maybe you're here today and you're saying, I I don't know about all this other stuff, but I know that I need Jesus in my life. And today I want to give him my my life as an empty vessel saying, will you fill it with your spirit? If that's your prayer, would you say this with me right now? Your prayer is this. God, will you fill me? God, will you you cover me with the blood of Jesus? God, that he died in my place. God, you raised him to life so that I can have new life. Today, I ask you, forgive me of my sin. Today, I put my faith in you. And you, I'm giving you this empty jar, this vessel. Will you fill it? Fill it with your spirit. Thanks so much for tuning in to this message. 
I hope that it encouraged you and inspired your faith. If God is doing something in your life, would you take a moment and let us know? We wanna connect with you and we wanna be able to pray for you. All you have to do is shoot us an email to hello at the x.church or you can always send us a DM on one of our social media platforms. And if you know somebody that would also be encouraged by this very message, why not take a moment and just share it with them right now? And as always, I want to say thank you to every single person who so generously financially supports this ministry so we can continue to get messages like these out to people all over the world. We believe God is building something special and you're a significant part of it. Until next time, have a great day.